What is up, everyone? Welcome to the NY Patriot Show. Uh, tonight, I got back on with me a returning guest. Uh, I had a really, really amazing chat with him and Lee last time when they were both on with me. Um, even got a lot of feedback. That seemed to be one of the more popular episodes that I've done as well. Uh, yeah, Paranoid American. Let everybody know where they can find you. I do know that you like have your own thing, and then you have stuff with Reality Czars. I would really like if you just, you know, plug the both and let everybody know what's Yeah, up man. There. So, I mean, you can find me in all of my comics and all of my work at paranoidamerican.com. I do operate on Instagram sometimes. I go through ebbs and flows, right, where, like, I just say screw social media altogether, and then I'll be posting a few times a day. Uh, right now I'm in one of my ebbs and not one of my flows. I noticed I'll, that, I'll get yeah. back there. I did but yeah, Twitter, I, I've been trying to do my best to get on all of them on Twitter and my TikTok, I think got banned already, but we'll get that back up and running. And my YouTube, I'm um, finally got that one monetized. I've got a bunch of content on there oh, nice. and I'm dropping a, uh, on the 11th, I'm dropping a documentary on a topic. I don't even want to say the name of because it'll just instantly make this a limited monetized uh, video. Uh, which I'm actually trying to fight back, but but that was my intention. The first video come out of the gate swinging documentary about all the most controversial topics I can think of and put it all in the title and see what Ooh. happens. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna see. You might just never see any of my content again. I'll just get shadow banned forever. But we're we're gonna do an experiment. Yeah, you, but, but you you, can, you never know. I mean, I, I've seen things like that take off, and then like you know a month later they get banned or taken down, but. Never know. Yeah, I mean, we always got to look forward to the surprise bannings and, yeah. and censorship. That's but you cool can, shit, so though. in addition to paranoidamerican.com, where I've got all my comic books and videos and coloring books and stickers and merch, um, I'm also on a handful of different shows. I actually had to make a list for myself to remember them all. But I do a cult book club regularly with One on One from the One on One podcast. And that's where we just read a bunch of old books. Usually they're from 1900s or earlier. The earliest one we did, I think, was from 1620 or something. And that was actually one of my favorite ones, too. It's on Rene Descartes, maybe taking hallucinogens and having like a, a homunculus take control of his body. It's crazy. It's <laughs> completely wild. It's, of course. Uh, it's I've, I do reality czars with Nate pretty regularly, like at least a few shows a week. I do one called Occult Disney with my friend Matt Kamiji's that's uh, in Japan where we rewatch every single classic Disney animation and not just decode it, but like kind of poke fun at it. Maybe talk about the original production, um, any weird like rumors that went on through the production. And then I'll usually dig up what the stories were based on. So for a lot of the early ones, it's like Brothers Grimm. But then as we get into the later Disney movies, it gets pretty wild. Like the original authors of a lot of those original Disney movies have got some really sorted and interesting pasts. So that one's been a fun one. I've got Sync Tank that I do with Andre Zertis on Tuesdays with a bunch of other people. And then I've got Conspiracy Cinema Saturday that I do with Tommy Truthful every Saturday where we watch a movie or um, like we did... Prometheus, we did oh. Nefarious, and then we uh, nice. just did Black Mirror. And we're going to do the rest of Black Mirror coming up soon. So those are all the shows I'm doing so far. 
Oh man, you gotta send me all those links after the fact if you don't. Oh, all right, those yeah, those all on, uh, now. But they but those links be on your website. Oh, um, actually, I'm our so they're not they're not all uh, on my website yet. But they okay, they will right. be. I'll put them all yeah, on my link tree. I mean, that the ones with the movies. I'd actually like to to check out myself. So I got they're get good, those bro. Links. Like and Tommy's I really like to a, check out Prometheus. That. So that that's really interesting. Prometheus is a wild movie, bro. It's it's a hundred percent about the the origins of humanity and this black goo Yo. that ends up being like artificial intelligence. And I love it, man. It's Yo. and it's a Christmas movie. I don't know. A lot of people don't know that. Prometheus. I remember is a that movie. shit because I saw it when it came out in the movies, and it was around Christmas yeah. time. I remember that <laughs> shit. And I even thought that I was like, "Yo, it's like kind of weird, like aliens for Christmas." But I mean, you know, we had Gremlins, and that was a Christmas movie. So. <laughs> I think it's it's cool when a movie makes itself like a Christmas movie because then you want to add it to this additional Christmas movie roster. Like oh, it, that's smart, like Die Hard. Marketing. Die Hard's like a Christmas movie now. You know yeah, what I'm man. But I mean, it, it'll keep it alive. You know yeah, what I mean? It, it, that's, yeah, exactly. That it'll be a classic now. Until Christmas is dead, those movies will be like forever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, man. All right. So I would like to... Um, like I was getting at before, before I started hearing myself echo, uh, your stuff, like the stuff that you have worked on, I didn't get into it that much in the last episode. I don't know why I think I had brought up your whole thing with the tract books, which I, which I love, and I thought that shit was great. But I know, yeah, like, you do have, uh, there we go, the homunculus. <laughs> this is the newest one, yeah. Yo, that is amazing. <laughs> and then this is the the OG one. This is the MK Ultra Paranoid pamphlet that breaks down the entire history of MK Ultra and Project Paperclip and Bluebird and Artichoke and Derby Hat and all of them that uh, were sort of uncovered through the the church committee hearings. Um, yeah, this is this one's my like pride and joy OG that started it all. Nice. Yeah, so I know like you have those, but like I know you have so much other stuff. I mean, you've worked on. You know, Plenty of other things. So uh, I guess maybe before we even get into that, I did want to ask, and I don't know if it was something I did ask you on the first show. If I did, sorry, I'm asking you again. I had may have forgot. But like uh, what were some of, I guess, your influences or what even even got you into doing you know, art and all this stuff? I mean, when it comes to art, when I grew up in upstate New York, my next door neighbor was like a phenomenal comic book artist, even at like age six or seven, like dude could draw like the, the muscle physique and like the dudes flying and making all the crazy poses. And I was always aspiring to draw even like a 10th as good as him. And I never quite got that great, but I found like my own style, my own little niche. But I remember as far back as I can, like all the way through fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, my favorite thing would just go to comic book shops, find cool comic panels, and then just trace them. Like, you know, it felt, it felt like if I could draw Wolverine, even if it was just a tracing, it just felt so cool. Like, now he exists right in front of me, and then trying to draw them on your own without the tracing. And then that turns into making superheroes. So I just remember being in school and drawing, like, superheroes that – would beat up my teachers and just do like fun, you know, fun things you can't do in reality. And, uh, <laughs> and he, dude, even when I joined the military, the first time I was allowed off base in my civilian clothes and I could go and like shop and just look like a normal person. I went right to a comic shop and started buying up like whatever the latest X-Men and Vampirella 
uh, comics were. And I don't know. So I, I guess it's always been embedded that I just kind of love the comic medium and the comic format. I'm not an expert. Like if you put me on the spot and start asking me like the names of the writers and the artists and, you know, following through all the different storylines, I'm not necessarily big into all that because ironically, I don't really love the fiction aspect. I'm actually a diehard reference reader. I almost never read fiction books whatsoever. It's all like reference, but I love the idea that a comic book can bring something to life that would cost hundreds of millions of dollars in CGI. Even if, even if you had the team to do it, but with a comic book, you could just draw stuff. And one of the best examples of this is that OG Disney kind of animations like the the weird dream sequence in Dumbo when he gets drunk and the pink elephants come out. And then one of the movies we watched recently was the Brave Little Toaster. And there's a scene in Brave Little Toaster where he has like this nightmare and a huge clown fireman demon sprays water and the water turns into forks and the forks start attacking him. And these kind of things would just not even be possible with CGI up until the last few decades. And then even now to do that, You'd have to have a team of people. You'd have to have a huge budget. Um, So there's something just that's so cool about comic books still that anyone with a pen and paper can make like a Hollywood budget storyboards at least. And I just feel like it's the ultimate equalizer when telling stories. Okay. Was there any like, at least I was kind of honest. I was expecting maybe some real names or something, but... (laughs) Well, I'd give you some like some like Lobo was huge um, for me. That was like my absolute favorite DC comic. In general, I'm not, I wasn't a huge DC fan. X Men, X Factor were were really really huge. Um, I love Domino and Deadpool and Cable and Bishop and a lot of the time travel uh, aspects and like Mojo that kind of ran this like reality show simulation. I just kind of love the scientific dystopian aspect. And the reason why I think I liked Marvel a lot more too is because this comes up frequently in like comic book nerd talks, but DC comics tend to be about gods and godly powers and characters having their powers given to them from these other planets, you know? So it's like, I'm the son of Neptune, so I can breathe underwater. I'm Superman and I came from this other planet and that's why I'm super strong. But X-Men and a lot of Marvel it was like I was just a normal teenager and I got bought, you know, I got bit by a spider or I fell into this radioactive sludge or whatever. And those ones, it was always like, oh, that was a normal person that I can relate to more. And they did a great job because that was the point of Marvel and X-Men was to make them more relatable. So I always just kind of bonded more to those than some god that came from another planet. It just it felt like having, you know, the game genie on cheat code style or something. Uh, but to know that, you know, Wolverine he's going through pain constantly. And this, this, uh, this adamantium skeleton might be trying to work its way out of his body. And it's just like this constant, uh, back and forth and like the weird love triangles. It was a very visceral for, you know, like a, a young teen. So I don't know. I, I loved it. And it felt, it also felt more so than I guess, like even Nickelodeon or something that there was this group of writers and creatives that were taking me seriously because obviously comic books aren't necessarily written for kids, but that's a huge demographic of it. And and a lot of them don't really dumb themselves down. So I don't know. It was like a really nice introduction to adult concepts. So I, I always I always oh, love comic okay. books for that. Same with that. Yeah, yeah. I can totally understand what you mean by that. 
I was actually, you know, when I did, did go through when I was young and did I kind of get into comics, um, I was actually never much of a DC fan myself. I was much more of a Marvel person. I don't know why. I just DC never... was always old because they're always cheating, bro. And DC also, I've got a theory on this. Because if you're like a this godlike DC superhero, you're almost infallible. You're almost without fault. Whereas every Marvel superhero pretty much had an, an obvious character flaw that they were constantly battling with. But you go with like Superman. What's Superman's flaw? It's just literally kryptonite or like getting caught. But he wasn't like, you know, he wasn't like a womanizer on the side or he didn't have like a horrible drinking habit or he didn't have like an anger problem. And that's where Marvel came in, right? Because the Marvel guys would come in and they had egos that they couldn't get out in front of. So I love that, man. That's it. It just makes it's for. Kind of it's very true. And dude, like the there was like this love triangle between Gambit and Rogue, where they loved each other, but like you can't touch each other because Rogue would like absorb all your energy, and Gambit's ability was that he could like charge things with his hands with energy. And even though they liked each other, they couldn't touch each other. I don't know. I just, I love those kind of uh, interesting little plot lines. And they exist in DC, but DC just always felt like the watered down, ver like the parent approved version, you know, like this one's got more fiber. It kind of felt like that to yeah. me. <laughs> parent approved version. I like that. Um, I guess, you know, besides DC, I mean, it's funny how like even as a kid, I looked at all these comics and like even going back and I think like you were saying, I think, I mean, Marvel does have it too, but DC, I think a lot of their characters are almost just like very, you know, some of them are taken straight from God names too. So I, I do think that it can be almost more obvious that, you know, these things have pagan gods or whatever you want to call them, you know, of other pantheons besides Christianity or, you know, whatever is accepted. Um, I felt like, you know, I guess obviously I didn't notice that as a kid. I kind of noticed that a little bit more growing up and not thinking much of it. But I guess getting into occultism now and like practicing and shit, I have, in my opinion, noticed it a lot in Marvel. It's just done differently. They may not have like, you know, a, a name that comes from some other god, but they could have an occult aspect to them. Do you find that, like, in Marvel comics that there may be, like, some actual deep-rooted, like, occultism in there? Oh, yeah, bro. I mean, honestly, beyond just thinking, I, I think it's overly apparent and almost provable that so much of it's based on it. Like, uh, oh, okay, thank you. Uh, Captain Marvel and Shabazz is a really good example where Shabazz was, like, an actual magical invocation um, in some regards. And you've got, like a lot of the the principles there's a lot of crowleyan magic that makes its way into marvel i think anything that relates to doctor strange even the modern movies that stuff is like all Deep. chaos magic and incantations and and they do it right you know what i mean they don't just like kind of dance on it they actually illustrate these concepts of like multiple realities and dimensions in like a really Sacred interesting geometry. way i think they're showing Stig you that you know but people may not catch that but when he's doing his little circles you know. And then there's like the the Thanos, uh, the Infinity Gauntlet, where he has to collect all the different jewels. I mean, this dates back to so many ancient tales where they have to go out and collect jewels. Some of them actually relate to collecting them for a gauntlet that, you know, gives you all this ultimate power. So if anything, and honestly, I'm on the fence on this one, but 
some people think that it's about like copying ancient stories and that if it's got this ancient story like the odyssey right if you rebase something on the odyssey then it's guaranteed to have some kind of a built-in audience or built-in prestige because the odyssey itself is such a great compelling story and it's got good story beats but then you could also think of it as that we only have like so many archetypes almost like a musical scale there's only so many frequencies in a musical scale and then there's only so many arrangements of those notes to make different melodies and songs and motifs. So at a certain point, it's like, am I copying someone because I just played, you know, ACG? Or is it just that ACG evokes a certain response or a certain feeling? And like the way that I play it and the way that you play it might differ a little bit in like our expressiveness. So I feel like the gods and the archetypes sometimes see themselves that way where Maybe you've got these Jungian archetypes, right? And Or like these Enneagrams. And maybe there's just like a set number of Enneagrams and everything else is just kind of like a reverberation of that. It's like a fractal expression of it. Yeah, I think comics show a lot. Uh, like you mentioned before. Um, no, I was going to say it. I don't think you... Magneto. I mean, I really think even him him and the, the issue... Uh, Fuck, what's the guy's name? Uh, the doctor in the wheelchair. Holy crap, I forgot his name. Uh, Professor Xavier. Yeah, I mean, I even think their battle is just, like, very much to me, like... I mean, listen, he's in the wheelchair. I mean, to me, a wheelchair is very, like... could be chariot or throne-like. Um, I was even showing in the whole Eyeball series. I mean, it, it looks like there's a throne in your optic nerve. So, I mean, is that where fucking Professor... What's his face is sitting? Like, I don't know. And, and also Magneto, he got some of his backstory from being a survivor of World War II. So, and I mean, when you want to talk about occultism, there's no greater, in my opinion, there's no greater source of occultism than World War II. I think worldwide in people's culture. faces, that was one of the biggest probably ever worldwide. I think occultism, you know, everybody saw that. Well, this was the first time in probably since like the fall of Carthage, right? Like since ancient Phoenicia, that occultism became part of state religion and state practice. I mean, even if you baked in like symbolism in your metals and your, you know, your garment, it wasn't to the same as the Germans did it in second world war. Like they, they overtly baked occultism to everything they did, their ceremonies, their, um, their cost, you know, their outfits, all of their insignias, like it was a cult first and then form and function secondary. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And you know, that's exactly kind of like for me as a magician, well, when I was practicing and doing rituals, like <clears throat> I would have my formula and the things that I was going to use. Let's say I was doing something on Wednesday and I was working with Mercury or Toth. You know, I'm going to have certain things, you know, that, and then whatever element it might be going with, you know, planetary and gods or whatever. Um, I could, I'll have all those things. And then when I real like when I'm like, okay, this is one I want to have my tools and all my little things, colored candles, maybe specific herbs and incense, you know, stones, mm -hmm. whatever, colors on the, on the altar, all those things. I pick all that out first and then I would think, okay, how am I going to make this ritual? You know what I'm saying? There's so, like, I can see what you're saying right there. That's the same exact way. It's like I'd have my little, uh, all my ingredients, and then I would make the dish out of that, you know? I've got a, a question for you on this. Maybe you've got some extra insight. So, 
for man in the early 2000s i just like would would buy up weird occult collections of books and stuff on ebay because uh, i don't know there wasn't a lot of uh people competing for it so i was able to get like bohemian grove plates and spoons and books for just like pennies on the dollar compared if you try to get it now but one of the things that i got was a binder that came from the early 70s through the early 80s and it was it was uh, apparently like a high priest of some pagan you know group and he had collected like all these underground newsletters from the 70s that were like hand printed and you know given out by hand and it looks like it's about 50 percent magic practices and you know incantations and sort of lesser keys of solomon breakdowns and tarot stuff but then the other half of it is actual magic. And I mean like magic tricks magic. So it talks about how to secure like fake blood, how to make fire appear from your fingertips, how to do like all sorts of sleights of hand. But it's, it is written directly and interwoven with all these pagan ideas and beliefs and like Wiccan practices and ceremonies. And it, and it made me feel that maybe I actually have this like old manual from an actual high ranking priest and that maybe back in the, in the day as in the seventies or whatever that the high ranking guys actually were doing some forms of stage magic and kept that on the DL, but it was like this impressive thing to like get people into. I think uh, Houdini so was, you know, I think a lot of, I think all mostly, I mean, Chris Angel, I think, you know, maybe David Blaine, but I think a lot of well-known actual stage magicians, in my opinion, they're, you know, magicians in other ways too. I, I totally believe that. So Houdini used to talk down about people that claim to be clairvoyance or um, having like actual supernatural. Do you think he was just diverting the focus away yeah. because he might have tapped into something? That's just my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, I I do think, I think that's the whole thing. I think magic, like magic, also like it does include. Oh God, let me try. I'm trying to think of how to say this right. All right, even talking about World War II, how we were talking about it before, and things with the Nazis. And even how we have Nazis again now. Um, again, it, you know, if, if, if Azov is going to send, you know, the, our news over here, what's going on over there, I should take that as me watching a magician up on stage pulling a rabbit out of his hat. Just on a huge, gigantic fucking scale now. You're sh selling me bullshit. It's not real. <laughs> so, I mean, I, th I think it's like literally the same shit just on a much more wider, grander scale. When you, when I look at it like that, I, th I that's why I think a lot of like occultists knew how to mind fuck with street magic or you know stage magic because they already know how to mind fuck you visually into thinking other things. Oh, I think that's it, right? That like some people, if you show them a weird visual thing, which I've got a I got a whole bone to pick with. <laughs> with part of the conspiracy community that relies so heavily on their eyes. And like, if I saw it happen, then that means that it actually happened. This one's hard because it encompasses all of the clone theories. It encompasses all of the reptilian shapeshifter theories. It like, it basically throws a bunch of those in one, a lot of the, um, the local sun and flat earth style theories, you know, where's the curve, almost all of that is based on your human, you know, perception of the world. And I think that we give ourselves so much credit, but like really these eyeballs, bro, are like not that high fidelity. You know what I mean? Like we're, no. our technology is going to outpace the resolution of our, 
all of our senses, olfactory and hearing and seeing it's going to like technology is going to be able to display images and analyze images faster than we can at a certain point, even though we're analog, the digital is just going to like throw it over at some point. So with that said, it feels so weird to be in a time where people still give so much on like what they see and how things are perceived. Yeah. See, this is where I think like even I would even consider this almost like stage magic, but just on the internet. Um, like think about the last few years, what's happened in my opinion, you have a group of people that will believe anything that the media on the TV tells them. Go, you know, anything they're shown, anything they see with their eyes. Okay, okay, okay. And then you yeah, have if there's the, a video, then I believe it. Yeah. yeah. And then you have the people. Well, I don't want to see it there. I don't trust that. Now everything I see on Instagram and Twitter is real. And <laughs> I really, I hate to say it, but I really do think that there's a lot, a lot of shit that goes through. These social media apps that are considered, you know, fucking, oh my God, look at these videos, look at these pictures of so-and-so. They're not real. I think they're made up and put out just to make you think we've got something and it never goes anywhere. I, I, I prefer to, to go with that route too. Yeah. We're like, even another, I initially doubt it. Even another thing too that I, I want to like even make, you know, I, I kind of want to make a point about maybe, you know, I'm going a little bit too off or I thought about it too much. But, like, a lot of things that I have, like, I've joked multiple times about some of the video quality. You know, you get these videos that's like, you know, like, even, like, the video of these guys hanging off that plane that we all know if it was real, they would have sucked to do it in the engine. Mm. But, like, the video quality of it is like of a fucking flip phone. <laughs> now, the, the thing is, I understand when it's you go... It's a great technique, though, to smooth out all those edges. You just make the quality Yes, I, well, I was going to say, for one, just from making my own video content, I can tell you the lower grade quality, the easier yeah. I can doctor that shit to make it look fucking like something else. Yeah, I you throw, like, a little VHS effect so it looks like it was yeah. ripped off an old VCR, and now all of a sudden the lips don't have to sync as well. Yeah, but... but like, I, I'm watching videos, like, recently. Like, this, they're showing, like, this goat that's standing up on, like, hind legs following a fucking rooster into a thing to go kill it or whatever. It's making the rooster <laughs> think it's a human. And, like, the video quality is so fucking horrible. And I'm like, I'm like this stuff, what I don't understand, like, this is where I think it's, like, you know, one side's being played and the other side is and has no fucking idea either. Because, like, even think of it this way. Since we've gone from, like, 4G even into 5G, if these phones, that like, these flip phones that are the only things out there that even have that type of quality can't even connect to the fucking internet anymore anyway. If you had a phone from 10 fucking 15 years ago... Good luck trying to use that and sending video files. <laughs> it's out of date. It's not going to work. So where are these fucking shit phone videos coming from? People making well, them and putting them out, making people think it's real. The next wave is going to look way better, though, because now, I mean, they've, they've got phones they've been working on that are made to run AI. So like the same supercomputers where you got to have, you know, like a $4,000 computer in order to generate fake video. They've got phones that they've made specifically to be able to do that without needing like this huge wow. expensive. I mean, if phones are expensive already, right? Mm -hmm. Like people are spending 1500s on a phone. So they've got it to the point now. Where, and there was one of the, the best examples that gets brought up a lot is that I think there was like a Samsung phone that if you were trying to take a picture of the moon, 
it would automatically know it's like, oh, you know, this idiot's trying to take a picture of the moon. So they would go and grab a really high resolution picture of the moon somewhere out on the internet and then download it and then kind of like figure out how to superimpose it onto your picture. So it looks like you're getting all this detail. I was like, oh, wow, look at how great this camera is. But really it just... Yeah, the, yeah. The quality of the moon landing is better than the fucking videos we're supposedly getting from over in Afghanistan right now of showing us horrible <laughs> things going on. Like, come on, wake the fuck up. This shit's probably not real. Well, so that's the other end of the spectrum is that I don't care what you show me. I don't think it's real unless what? Like, what? At that point, and it's, I think that's, that's a scary that, chaos well, point to get to. Oh, no, I understand. But, like, like, all right. And over and see, that's, I think, is the problem, though, with the internet. I'm not saying you have to think all of it's fake. It's just I don't know what's going on overseas. So you could show me anything. Well, like, I kind of do think it's all fake at a certain point, man, which is like that that book uh, that I mentioned was from like the 1620s. It was called the the Voyage of Cartesius or the Cartesian Voyage. But this thing that I, I took away from that that's like rocked my fucking world is that Descartes basically said that all of the visuals that we see, it's just vibrations of your optic nerve. That's all it is. Everything you've ever seen in your entire life it's just because these, you know, these frequency of like little light rays are beaming through your skull and then tickling the end of your optic nerve. And it makes you see, I mean, he kind of oversimplified it, but because all we see is just things that are tickling your optic nerve, you can't prove that the things you're seeing isn't just like someone inside your head, just like pulling on different strings in your optic nerve, right? Making you see stuff. That would be the puppet so master. He, so he, but yeah, <laughs> but, the, but like the optic nerve version of like a puppet master. But the point that he was making is that you can't trust your eyes at all because all your eyes are this very inferior um, sensory organ that shows you a guess of what's going on outside based on just like a vibration that happened. And that can't be true reality. So he took the stance of, I don't even believe my eyes anymore. So if I can't believe anything I've ever seen, what can I trust that would be true? And he deduces that only logic and reason can derive truth. So then he sat down and tried to figure out, okay, what, like, what am I actually seeing when there's an object in front of me? If I don't believe that it's real and it's just vibrations. And this is where he kind of came up with this idea that the sun is blasting particles of light. And then if something stands in front of that light, then what you're really seeing is the absence of, of those waves making it all the way to your brain. And like, he, he comes up with this whole concept, but, but the thing that blew my mind was that like, he had such a scientific mindset that he didn't even believe what his eyes were showing him. And he had to just bring everything through the scientific process. I mean, I have uh, kind of like questioned that theory in itself where like, you know, do we project our own reality out of our eyeballs? And I didn't get into it much, but when we covered the eyes in this series on the occult rejects, uh, Lisa, who came on, did touch on that. I think she did you know, mention it and, you know, whatever. I don't think we went too far into it, but uh, our eyes do actually, like, project out a certain amount as well. So How I does mean, that work for blind people? I don't I don't know. We didn't, we didn't, like, it wasn't, like, something I was really trying to get into and go on to with that. But, like, I have questioned that. And, like, what you were saying almost kind of goes with, like, because we had even mentioned the sun puts out this certain stuff and your eyes take it in. And we were saying that your eyes do project a little bit. So, like, I do see, like, what that guy is saying. I could see someone thinking that even with the way we explained your eyes in the sun. And this is 1620s, which is 
mind blowing that someone was even like thinking about it into that, that level of specificity. But yeah. And, and I think that there's definitely something to the, like the woo woo aspect of that, which is basically like a shared global illusion or like Maya, right? Like if enough people believe or invest their energy into a certain concept and that concept turns from like a thought form into an actual manifestation. And now it's part of reality. Although I don't, I, I tend to not fall too hard into that direction, but I, I appreciate that sort of like mindset, especially when you get into like comic books. Cause that's exactly how like a comic universe operates, right? You define your own, rules and physics and reality and then if you need to change the rules you just say oh now there's another dimension where you know that like this new thing works and that's kind of what we do in our reality too right like math mathematicians are just like oh well in this dimension you know now the rules are a little bit different and i i feel like there's a lot of overlap there between what we create as fiction and what we portray as science yeah no, I, would, I, I do think, yeah. I think there is a big misconception of, like, our reality in general. <laughs> yeah, I'd even have to say when I covered that whole series with the eyes, um, I, I mean, there was times where I was just like, fuck, wow, like, this is really fucking weird. Um, it, it's kind of wild, like, how much I did not know, like, it is, I don't know. I, I think maybe people should actually look into, like, the things that are perceiving your whole reality and how it works. Because it's actually, like, pretty interesting and weird to me. You know, when you start actually looking in, like, how does your eye work going along with the light and everything around you? It's actually very bizarre. I, and then there's a book called The Occult Anatomy of Man, which I think is a Manly Palmer Hall book. But it's more a summary of a lot more Rosicrucian teachings. And they also have this one blew my mind too. And it doesn't mean that I always believe it, but I like I just respect someone putting together this theory that makes so much sense. And I feel like that whenever something makes so much sense and resonates, there's gotta be some truth to it, even if all the details aren't right. Like the general concept is right. But they the this Rosicrucian occult anatomy of man describes the ear and the inner ear as being our link to the third dimension mm. and that if you look at how it's created, you actually have all three axes represented. You've got up, down, left, the right, and then like, you know, forward, backward. And that without that very specific configuration, our eyes give you like some sort of perception, but our eyes don't necessarily give you like a three dimensional grasp of reality. Your ears do. Your ears are what let you understand things that are three dimensional, um, so that like every different part of our sense, uh, it's a different link to like another dimension, right? So if you imagine that you didn't have ears, then that whole sense of three-dimensional space, you don't have as firm of a grasp on it. And then if you don't have your eyes, well, now you don't have a firm grasp on depth and like two-dimensional space. Um, you know what I mean? So, oh, no, so no, each totally one of those, it's like opening up a whole different dimension to you. If you don't have smell and you have no olfactory sense, that uh, actually smell is like the biggest link we have to memory and to recalling like past memories. So if you imagine you just, you know, didn't have smell anymore, mm. that could affect your ability to, you know, remember things or develop new experiences like there's things that interact in ways that we still have no idea yet i've mentioned that multiple times i mean just from doing uh 
<coughs> neither <coughs> magic or meditating, really mostly meditating. Uh, meditating or even if I was to like burn incense or even like make something or whatever and burn it. There's so many times and I started noticing it more as I was getting stricter in meditation and visual, uh, like trying to picture neither certain colors or certain shapes and certain colors with my eyes closed. Like I did all these visual fucking, you know, things to practice, uh, breathing practices. But like when I started getting heavily into that stuff, I don't know if it was coincidental, but I did also start noticing a lot of like almost like instant flashbacks to like a split second in like the past of a memory that I remember with that scent. The, I mean, the, yeah, the, and the I thought that was very powerful. Actually. Is the strongest one for memory. So that's you'll smell something you haven't smelled since you were like three or four, and it'll bring you back to a memory no, was, you haven't yeah, remembered. Dude, I was remembering like my, you know, back in the day. You know, people actually would, you know, kind of like have gardens in their own yard, and we actually grew our own shit. You know, sometimes my mom had like a like two different gardens, one on each side, and I just remember I don't know what it was, but like in that one garden, like whenever she would like dig it up or they rototill it. That that dirt or whatever that grit that ground had like a specific smell to it, and yeah. <laughs> whenever I would burn patchouli, it would kind of remind me of that sometimes. But then there was like times where like I remember like I was meditating with it, and it literally brought me back to like an image of like a, a memory of like me actually like sitting there with my mom like in the dirt, and that's why I was like smelling it so much as she was like you know burying stuff to the plant, and it was just like really like it's like. It was, like, so, like, fucking real for a second. Well, it's yeah. the same thing with taste, too, since taste is, you know, has so much to do with your smell that this is the same way it's, like, you know, the the trick to a guy's heart is through his stomach or whatever. But really, you're just, you're playing with, like, the NLP anchors, right? You're, like, bringing back moments of nostalgia by feeding someone comfort foods or something that they grew up on that reminds them of home. Like that's the same thing as just triggering their olfactory smells. So these are these are great cheat codes if you're actually trying to like do a magical incantation or you want to hypnotize someone or whatever. Like these are things that you can actively be doing to find, you know, like use certain smells and, and evoke it. And this this reminds me of like how church kind of works too, where on very specific days that you go to mass, or at least in Catholic mass, they'll burn like frankincense or they'll burn myrrh, or they'll do some kind of like a blessing. And it's like if they only burn that one particular thing one time every year, it like puts you into this mental state. And it, it's a hundred percent NLP style anchoring. Actually, are you are you a fan of NLP at all? Have you looked into it? I mean, I, don't, I mean, I know what you're getting at. I mean, I think <laughs> I think Tim Pool's a perfect example of NLP. I say that all the time. <laughs> Neural and just does, does he talk about it or does he just uh, do it a lot? Oh, no, I think he does. He, I think he understands, like, how to use that shit. I, think I, I mean, it's example. one of those things that if you know how it works, you can see it being used on you. Oh, yeah, then... yeah. I mean, X-22, I think, is another perfect example of uh, NLP. He has a certain, like, he has certain phrases, he has a certain monotone, and just certain people are attracted to that, and you reel them in. You know? And you could do it to yourself, too, which which can be helpful. Oh, mantras. I, mantras it could mm -hmm. be, like, really neuro-assistant programming. You're trying to, like, reprogram yourself on a thought or a vibration that you're just fucking creating over and over again throughout your body, throughout the water, around your brain, all that shit. 
I think it got a bad rap just because it got it got sort of taken over by a self help slash crowd. Yeah, well, I guess like you know, again, I mean, this goes along with magic and occultism in itself. You're always gonna have like a positive and a negative out of it, unfortunately. So, like, yes, I could use NLP-style stuff on myself to help better myself, but if I start using it on the next person, probably against their will, uh, yeah, they might get shitty. Like, so, you know. Although, I mean, so in, like, in a devil's advocate way, um, you could also just say that NLP, if you were to use, like, a tactic, right, if I wanted to just, just start, like, finessing you through some kind of NLP tactics – is that me manipulating you or is that me just understanding how to be more effective uh, as no, a communicator? I understand what, you, I know, I understand you know? what you're getting at. Sure. Yeah. No, I've, I've, I've struggled with trying to change certain things about like even like myself on my own show, because it's like, to me, it's like, you know, it, it's making myself a little bit more, I guess, approachable, but then it's just like, I'm kind of like conforming to my opinion, the NLP that works. <laughs> I'm just. (laughs) That's another NLP tactic called reframing, where you would like, (laughs) you would just change it up. Like one of the examples would be uh, if you have a normal pattern, and this is crazy because we did this in the military too. Um, If if you have a top secret clearance, this was the same idea, but to stay vigilant and to avoid falling into like this stupor, especially when you're driving, right? If you got the same routine and the same route every single day a lot of people go into that phenomenon where like they get into the car and then all of a sudden they're at work and they're like, what happened to the last 40 minutes? I don't even remember paying attention. I don't remember anything that happened, but what you do is that you just intentionally always take a new route to work or as you're driving, you just take like a right you've never taken before. Even if it means you got to just make like a U-turn whatever, because what it does is it forces you to stay focused on the moment and be highly aware of your surroundings but then it also does something with your brain where it's telling your brain like, hey, we're not doing a regular pattern right now. And that just makes it so you don't go into that autopilot mode. And the longer you can keep yourself from never going into the autopilot mode, that just gives you like, you're not, you're not going to become Jason Bourne exactly. But like it's kind of on the way there where it's like, you know, the guy Jason on the Bourne. left booth was wearing red shoes and his his watch was five minutes behind, but having that level of awareness puts you <laughs> leagues ahead of just like an average Joe. You know? Yeah. I was, yeah. An average everyday person. Definitely. That'll put you leagues ahead. You're totally right. Yeah. In life. Sometimes in general, that's all it takes. Yeah. Right. So, and I got another uh, question for you too, man. I know this is like you, you interviewing me a little bit, but I, yeah. but like, um, you've got an interesting background, like, you know, being the, uh, the cult rejects and, and, uh, not necessarily in this, com- this conspiracy space, right. It feels that over time, like on a long enough timeline, everyone becomes a hardcore fundamentalist Christian within the conspiracy realm, because at a certain point, Alex Jones included, but it feels like there's like a litmus test where it's like, do you believe in demons or not? And are you supporting the demons or not? And then if you don't believe or say like, Hey, it's maybe not black and white, then it's like, okay, you're a Luciferian, you're a Satanist, you're a pagan, you're a, you're an other. And then like the, there's this very real sort of like community, which I'd argue comes from like Lyndon LaRouche or a whole bunch of like right wing sort of like Christian um, movements that started in like the seventies or sixties kind of to, to counter this like new wave of occultism but it feels that like 
like if you're not one of the other, you're almost in a no man's land. Like if you're not fully into woo woo and you're not fully into, you know, Christ is our one and only savior, then like, you know, I feel like a minority very often because oh, I'm not I, on I either do, of those too. spectrums. <laughs> I do too. Yeah. Especially even with certain guests that I have, like even recurring guests on my show. Sometimes I'm like, I don't even know why you even fucking come on my show. <laughs> <laughs> just like, but I mean, I get along with them really well. But, um, <clears throat> well, I, I, ooh. you know, what's really what do you weird? think it, it is about like that fundamentalist Christian aspect? Though? Like, I, why, I don't why does know. that have such a prevalent space in this community world? I, you know, it's, I, it's funny that you mentioned that because like recently I saw there was another show at somebody who doesn't, they don't have like, they don't do podcasting. They just do like a YouTube uh, thing in the morning. Uh, it's a Tedic warrior. Um, he does like the Z show and you know, I, I listen in and I, I couldn't honestly even tell you, he may have mentioned who. So, but I have no idea and I'm not trying to like start shit. Um, he, I was just listening to him and he was going on saying how like in the flat earth community, it seems like recently it's like all of a sudden you got to jump on the fucking Catholic or Christianity train. Yeah. I've, so yeah. And dude, I I've was like, yo, what the fuck? It's true. And and I've got a theory on this. I it's I don't have it fully proven out. I was like, how does that? Why does what does one have to do with the next? So so I mean, here's my theory. Okay, if if uh, the Earth is round and planets exist and universes exist and all those different things, then it it basically does make humans like this tiny little speck in the middle of nothing. You know what I mean? As you have you seen the science things where they just keep zooming out until you know the the Earth itself is like less consequential than a grain of sand at that point. So when once you have that kind of a scale and it makes humanity feel so inconsequential, but the flat earth thing basically says, no, bro, all those planets are fake. That's all holograms. The earth is the only thing that exists. And usually what helps fit into that same dialogue is that, you know, God made this earth for us to rule over and he actually created you and put you onto this. So it 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 fits nicer into that traditional you know, talking snakes, Garden of Eden, making people out of clay, that makes a little bit more rational sense on a flat earth than it would in this, you know, forever expanding universe that it doesn't necessarily get explained. Like once you get outside of the planet earth, nothing else gets explained in all of the religious texts. So by just focusing on earth and saying everything else is fake, everything else is a distraction. And if you imagine the, the ultimate villain of, fundamental Christianity is basically the devil, which is the ultimate conspiracy because he's trying to lie to you constantly. He's trying to trick you and he's trying to make you think either he doesn't exist or that good things are bad or the bad things are good. And I can't think of a better reason to just be the ultimate conspiracy theorist than just always thinking, you know, everywhere I look, that could be the devil lying to me and tricking me. So I need to get to the bottom of this. So I feel like it meshes well with the conspiracy theory mindset. And then it's some of the well, theories like flat earth cater to it more. I think, I think what it probably is really the most important thing out of it. And I'm saying this because of the way I think, uh, social media and the conspiracy community or really even people like with politics, when it comes to politicians too, we need a savior. So you just need to keep one no matter what it is. You know, yeah, but if you want to believe in flat earth, sure, but you got to believe in a fucking savior now. Because like you were saying, you know, maybe flat earth could maybe create people to think like differently about certain things. But 
okay, but you need a savior still. You still can't believe in yourself. You got to believe in some fucking somebody that's going to come and save you. It's like Alcoholics Anonymous, right? <laughs> uh, you know, there is, not to get off the topic, and then I do want to actually start asking you some questions about some stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have heard and I have looked, you know, there is some shady shit with even AA and occultism. <laughs> So oh, yeah, dude, because, I mean, AA was basically guys that took LSD, tripped out, found God through this psychedelic experience, and then wanted to repeat it, but they took the LSD part out, and they just replaced it with, you have to submit yourself to a higher power. But the guy that actually came up with it, his higher power was like a psychedelic, you know, like um, like non-deniable experience that he had from hallucinogens. So I don't know. I, I feel like like AA might have even better success rates if they still kept that up. But obviously you can't <laughs> for legal reasons. Yeah, no, I've looked into stuff like, yeah, uh, that um, supposedly like seances. I know like I think one of them was big into that. Some people even do question. I've seen some uh, a few sites where like think they even try to pull phrases or whatever. But like some people do even try to say that Crowley because of the Astrum Argentum even wrote, like, the book for the AA. Could you imagine using oh, Crowley to get, you, <laughs> to, to get you kicked off of alcohol and drugs? <laughs> well, I think they were saying that, like, that technically, I mean, technically in that book, they do claim they do not have a monopoly. So they are telling you there's other ways to get sober. But if you do stay in that, I mean, listen, it works for people, but that is a crutch. You're still. Well, it's a, a game plan. You're I think still, some people just need a game plan. Yeah, bro, no, I know, but like, but like, what I'm saying, like, I could see the magical aspect again, keeping somebody stuck with a crutch. If it if it's not a god, it's a group of people now that you have to go see because if you don't, you're gonna drink again. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like, I still see the whole fucking savior aspect. So who knows? It would be more interesting if, if AA just created its own religion and they had, like, a drunk Jesus or something. Oh, fuck. It's a drunk Jesus. It would uh, just be like Bacchus all over again, yeah, right? <laughs> That's great. They just said that. Um, something I wanted to get into with art, and I think it was things that you were talking about before... Um, with, I think, uh, the 666, there was something that you had mentioned, um, and I, I was thinking about things inside the head, inside the eyes, and the brain. Oh, you were talking about the ear, and I think you were talking about, like, the inner ear. Uh, yeah. You know, that could look like a spiral. Um, it could even, like, even when you start looking at the inner ear, you, like, you have that spiral, and then you have three things coming off of it. So it almost can kind of start looking like an okay symbol. You do have spirals in your cornea. I mean, you have the Fibonacci sequence in your cornea. Um, and in like, your face. Yeah, yeah. And in like your pupil does like, all right, it spins closed. And there's three different sizes that your pupil, pupil could go to. So I could see like three turns technically. So I could even see like the whole six, six, six again of the, the twisting or the turning of the pupil. And, like, there's things in your ears. So, like, and, I mean, I, ha I don't want to start saying maybe in your brain as well, but, like, there's multiple things in your ears, I mean, in your eyes and in your ear that I do think can represent 666 or a spiral. Now, I know um, a lot of people tend to just automatically run with that spiral shape. 
and think it means something else. You know, uh, especially when it comes to like pizza places. You know, maybe you understand what I'm getting. Oh at. yeah. You know, but I, I from your, uh, you know, from what you're into, your research and stuff that the way you look at art, do you see that symbol might actually like be very like uh, in depth or like have very deep meaning, occult meaning? Yeah, to ab- well, absolutely, that, man. Besides that. Uh, so one of the earliest versions of a spiral that you can find are incantation bowls. And this is where people would make a bowl to Lilith usually. A, a bunch of different gods, but one of the most prevalent was Lilith. And they would basically, for all kinds of reasons, if you know your wife was pregnant and you didn't want complications, um, if you just wanted like general um, sort of like success in life or you wanted to find like good harvest. And another really interesting one is that if men had nocturnal emissions, right? If they have a wet dream and they wake up after it, they would be under the impression that Lilith had married them through the night. And in order to divorce Lilith, they would have to go through actual divorce proceedings. And then they would take one of these incantation bowls and incantation bowls literally just, a bowl and then they would just start writing magical spells and wishes and demands of Lilith and they would do it in this big spiral. And then at the very inside of the spiral, they would draw a little like effigy of Lilith herself. And the idea was that this spiral was almost like a net trapping her and that in order for her to get out, she would have to kind of like follow all of these commands Um, I'm greatly oversimplifying that because there's like a lot of other like culture and stuff that went into it. You know what's wild as you're describing that though, that almost sounds like, like the, what you just drew and how you were describing her travels. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you wanted to depict that, you could draw the tower of Babel. That would be, (laughs) but that would be like the the inversion of like what you were explaining. You know what I'm saying? Well, and if you imagine the tower of Babel, if it had like inscriptions all the way around as you went up, you could just say that that's like a 3d representation of the same thing. Yeah. But the the point being that the spiral being this magical symbol, I mean, it dates back as far as our relics of magical symbols exist. Cause those incantation bowls, I think are some of the oldest artifacts that we have that represent people um, actually like com- trying to communicate with gods and they would find them, you would like bury it under your house. They had, but they find them all over the place across different cultures and regions to where this was a widespread enough practice, these incantation bowls. So, I mean, I, I think the spiral starts at least somewhere around there and then just spreads out. Cause I mean, you see the, the spiral designs in um, a notion culture you know, Minos, you see it like, like all, all the labyrinths, um, which then influences Greek culture. And so, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm not one of those people that just sees a spiral and I'm like, oh, John Podesta's somewhere around yeah. here. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, the, see, like the things I was talking about before, like how you even see it like replicated inside the human body. I mean, would you ever wonder if like sometimes the symbolism of that could be actually for that? I would think it's just one of those archetypes that are just expressing itself in different ways. And this is another really good point that all this one blew my mind the most. And I'll take this one to the grave, I think, but I don't know if it's accurate, but Manly Palmer Hall in anatomy, cult anatomy of man, he describes the seven seals that are mentioned in the Bible and his interpretation of the seven seals is being able to read the Bible in seven different 
perspectives. So for example, if you can read the Bible as it's an anatomical reference and that all of the geographic positions and all the people, they represent organs and they represent uh, biological function. If you can read the entire Bible beginning to end like that, that's one seal. And then if you can read the entire Bible as if it were a geographical explanation, that's the second seal. And the, the point that he tries to drive home is that if you can read any text, but the Bible being one of the best examples in seven different ways, then that's the only way you can actually start to understand all the occult teachings behind it. Because then it's, it's almost like this hermetic principle where the original hermetic principle as above, so below, all that's really saying is understand how analogies work. Because if you can become an expert in one angle. Like let's say you become an expert in podcasting, you know, everything about audio levels, you know, how ins and outs work and the difference between analog and digital and XLR. Like once you understand all that stuff, someone can drop you in a completely different world, right? Now you're going to like work in a copy machines or something, but like the more you, the more you're an expert in one area, then it's like, Oh, this thing that looks different is almost like this thing that I'm familiar with. And there you go. That's the hermetic principle in action. And I think that that's like the original occult teaching. It was teaching people to think on a higher level. Like, don't don't be so literal. Don't be so, um, so verbatim about everything we're saying. Like, if I can tell you something and we're talking about apples, but I'm really talking about, like, your job or your life, and I can speak about it as if I'm talking about apples and you can hear it, but you understand it, now all of a sudden we have such a more powerful way of communicating. And I think that, like, to bring it back to comics, right? It's like, that's the elevation of all this. Like what is, what is more to the height of speaking in analogies and symbols than just actual illustrations, you know, far more than hieroglyphics, I would say. Cause even hieroglyphics, you're kind of reading letters and words and mm-hmm. semantics and grammar and stuff. I agree with that. Um, something I did want to ask you to, uh, just want to try to stay on like, you know, you're actually the guest here. Uh, <laughs> one another question about like, I guess, your influences, well, not so much influences, but what got you, I guess, uh, into even going into, like, the occult aspect, like, with your art? And, like, like what gave you that, like, what made you think, like, you know what, I'm going to start just doing all this shit? It's hard to pinpoint, man, but I would say it was probably, like, X-Files. Like, I, I was growing up and X-Files was, like, huge and um, All Real Monsters was kind of, like, a big Nicktoons thing. And it just felt like I was growing up in this very conspiratorial era of the the, the early to mid to late 90s. Like, I, I remember even the, the High Times Cannabis Cup um, when I was in high school was, like, the Conspiracy Cup. And all of the the bud strains were like named after aliens and JFK assassination and stuff. And then what, like the JFK movie came out. Um, I also lived through the Oklahoma city bombing, just like a whole grip of things that I felt were just steeped in, in conspiracy theories. And I also came across Manly Palmer Hall's secret teaching of all ages when I was like 16 or 17 on I think sacredtext.org, which like still ah. exists to this day, bro. I know what you're talking um, about. I've read plenty of things off of there. Wow. Sacred text, and I think even whale.2 might have been around in like the mid to late 90s too. So I mean, all props to them originally. And then after um that, Yo, that's, do you remember that, that site, of, the i.eu or some shit like that? The uh, I, Yo, I, don't, I, I don't that was that like that has to I don't know if it's still up, the i dash 
the uh, the slash i or the i.eu or something like that whatever but yo that has to be like the i i've never seen so many so many so many well dude 90s internet was almost impossible to not develop some kind of conspiracy theories going on because i was also on like the irc channels i was on like (laughs) the uh the usenet boards and i remember this one probably put me over the edge but the usenet usenet there was like a scientology group and it was people that were actually in sea org and we're like exposing and talking about all this crazy stuff. And this is before South Park barely existed. I think South Park had like one season in. So they definitely hadn't gotten into the Scientology thing. And it was these people talking about like, I've been kidnapped. Um, they're basically forcing me to work here. I get abused. If I speak out, they lock me in a room. And and then they start talking about things like bull baiting and things like, I guess, just like the, the hypnosis style treatment. And for whatever reason, man, that just like struck a chord with me. I was like, wait, is this like, can you hack the human brain? Cause I was already a computer nerd at this point. And I understood how you can like talk to computers and make computers do what you want them to do. And I just remember seeing this idea of mind control, just being computer programming for humans. And uh, I think that really kicked me off, man. I think that like, all of a sudden it was like X-Files, all this could be real and Twilight Zone and the Outer Limits, like all of that stuff could be real. And I started going down that path. And then um, I think the one that really sealed me, and I, I talk about this whenever I go through my origin story, but I joined the military. And while I was in training, 9-11 happened. But I was out on like the oh, wow. the um, tarmac doing like marching drills. So I had no idea what had happened. And they come in, they bring everyone in, they give us flashlights, they tell us to like stand with your arms up and just like if anyone walks by, you say halt, who goes there and all this stuff. And for two weeks, we didn't know that 9-11 had even happened. And then finally, someone's parents snuck in a 9-11 newspaper article with like a letter they had written from home. And then all of a sudden it was like, whoa, what's this? Is this real? And then... Finally, the TIs realized that we had figured it out and they told us, but I remember coming out of that and I was being told that the whole nation was healing and everyone loves each other now. And like everyone's patriotic and, you know, people are like hugging in the streets and, and crossing, you know, the aisle. And I was just like, yeah, it's just Thursday to me though. Right. Like I just like, I'm, I got out and I hadn't gone through that, that mass trauma. And that's when. I feel like I started to develop this really hard theory that we're all programmed through these different trauma events. And I don't think I've ever dropped that theory. Like I've always been developing it ever since. So that's, that's sort of like the, the short medium progression through all that. And there's a lot of Wu Tang and kill army lyrics intermixed in that too. Cause kill army was always talking about Illuminati and they had Jordan Maxwell quotes in their songs and, um, I think there was like a David Icke reference, so I I, I blame Yo, some of it on Kill Army. Yeah, that's, that's actually it's funny that you mentioned that. I I couldn't even tell you who the fuck it was, and this isn't like I'm trying to like boast or anything, but like I did know someone who was part of them, but I I don't think they may have actually really done anything with Wu Tang. I think they were a part of like the Kill Army that was just like. You know, I think I can name most of them, bro. Because actually, like, I, I keep in contact them, with them. One of them was in he, one of them. Well, I, I mean, most of New York, I'm sure. Anyway, but I, I ended up going to a, a school. I went to a trade school with one of them, and he was actually like he was saying some like pretty weird conspiratorial shit to me. I thought then, 
Yeah, bro. I so, mean, like, that, that makes total sense. I'm going to be honest. I really never listened to this shit. I was into Wu-Tang, but I couldn't tell you anything about, about those dudes. But, like, you're saying that they were into the Illuminati, and I'm thinking, like, as you're saying that, I'm like, that, that kid, I remember him, like, sitting behind me in class, like, saying some, like, outlandish. No, well, to me, it was outlandish then. It's probably normal now. But he was talking about conspiratorial shit then. Everybody was like, yo, what the fuck? Yeah, bro. So, so Kill Army, their second album, I think it was, it was called Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars, which is named after a section of Behold a Pale Horse. And uh, are you familiar with Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars? Uh, I've heard of it. So the, the premise is that somebody bought a Xerox machine at a government liquidation sale. And when they, they got it back home and opened it up, they found this manual that had been left inside the Xerox machine. And the manual was called Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. And it was rumored to have been originally written by Lord Baron Rothschild and that it was a, a way that you can look at a society the same way as an economic system. And you could also look at it the same way as like a circuit board. So just like water and just like electricity, the current will always go the path of the least resistance. So you just apply that to society. And if you assume that people will always just try to do whatever the minimum is to get through, then you can treat a city as if it were a circuit board. And one of the, one of the, the, the uh, mind blowing aspects of this in silent weapons, quiet wars was that if you wanted to make a certain political party look good, then you, you ease up on people, you give out less tickets, you bust less people for having drugs and guns. And that in turn causes less stress. It causes less violence because now there's people not doing like turf wars as much. Um, it's almost like the the New Amsterdam of the Wire. You know what I mean? I don't know if you ever seen the Wire series, but they make like drugs legal in a certain section of the city, and dr- crime just disappears. You know what I mean? Like dramatically. So the Silent Web for Quiet Wars basically says, well, that if you want someone to dislike a certain political party that's in power, then you tighten it down. You start giving out more tickets. You just constantly are doing drug busts and and gun busts. But um, that's that's the whole premise, and they have an album named after this very niche uh, sort of article from Behold the Pale Horse. So, I mean, if, if, if you need convincing that, like, they are deep in conspiracy theories, and also a lot of rap um, artists, especially New York, right, uh, East Coast, they've got 5% roots and Nation of Gods and Earths. And if you believe in any of the nation of gods and earths uh, sort of teachings. A lot of that is based on conspiracy theory too, like deep conspiracy theory where they've got, yo, when I was in, when I was in federal prison, I was Mm -hmm. around a lot of them. Totally dude. Totally. Everything's mathematics. Everything's this. Yeah. Supreme mathematics, the Supreme alphabet. They they were the ones with the David Icke books, believe it or not. Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. I was like, yo, what the fuck? But but it makes sense. I'm like now and now what Wu Tang was saying makes more sense to me. <laughs> when and the the black community, they had the least reason to trust the establishment from the 50s, 60s, 70s on. I mean, ever since there's been a black community in America, they have had the least amount of reason to trust, um, you know, establishment. So they already have this propensity towards conspiratorial thinking, even though. The, the black community might not necessarily be all in on like every single conspiracy theory the same way that QAnon is or like, you know, like the Trump crowd might necessarily be, but they have an inherent distrust in the system. And I think that that lends itself so well to that 
some of the the more obscure teachings from five percent and NGE and that make that their way into hip hop and then hip hop ends up making some conspiracy theories, you know, more attractive and just that like you've heard it before. So it's like, oh, I think I've heard that rumor before. Maybe there's something to it because I've heard it. And you don't realize it's because it was in like a few rap songs here and there. Maybe they were talking about white devils or something. No, they, they uh, I mean, I don't want to get too far off, but I definitely think Wu-Tang. I mean, there's even stuff that I think I've even, like, used snippets of their shit or, like, referred back to them in occult reject stuff. They definitely. I mean, I think Golden Arms. Uh, I think, like, I used to, when I was, you know, into Wu-Tang back in the day, I used to kind of look at him and be like, yo, he says some whack shit. And then when I started. What, you gone? Yes, but then when I started getting into occultism and Kabbalah and shit, I'm like, yo, this dude was spitting fire, actually, and he just sounds retarded. He was fire, honestly, man. Yeah, not to get too much on a tangent, but he got screwed over because all the beats were used up. So by the time it got time for You God to release his solo efforts, everyone had already, like, blown up, and they had already used up all of RZA's beats, and then he kind of had to do his own thing. But, dude, You God, you God was absolute fire. Him and Inspect the Deck were probably the best lyricists on the clan, but they got the worst solo releases. It was weird how that happened, but you know, yeah. that's the music industry for you. So, all right. Basically what I got out of it is that like, I guess, was it conspiracy soon? Like when you say the X files, I mean that, that can cover like so much stuff like as being an influence. So was it kind of like your influence, I guess was conspiracies and you kind of started gravitating more towards occultism with that. Is that, is that, is that uh, like how you ended up getting into doing like, you know, occult art as well. So I, know I think they were just, they were combined a little bit. Cause I know you will right? cover both, but I do think like you do also focus like on occult aspects in your art as well. Besides like, yeah, it, it's hard for me to differentiate the two because for example, if you, if you want to talk about a popular conspiracy theory of like, um, all of rock and roll has been manufactured by, by the CIA or that, you know, the, the record companies are putting hidden messages uh, and like Satanism into music. Well, you can't really go that route without believing in both conspiracy theories and occultism, because if there's no such thing as occultism and it's all fake, or if no one believes in it, then what, then what is even the point of putting subliminal messages and all this Crowley and all these references to Satan and pagan gods. And um, one of my favorite too is Michael Sarion. He's got an amazing talk called, uh, occult symbolism and media or something like that. Yeah, I was and he shows big on how, him back in the day, man. I dude, he, he's fire still, shit. bro. And the or the Oracles and Origins DVD set where he breaks down uh, sidereal um, astrology. But he had this one talk from Conspiracy Con 03, I think. And he shows, like, the Infinity logo and the Mazda logo and the Bank of America logo and just goes through, like, hundreds of corporate logos and he shows how they all are based on pagan gods or they're based on Freemasonry or they're based on all these occult sort of subjects. So, I mean, like when you see that so much of the symbolism that exists today still comes from occult practices, it just feels like it's a it's a part of reality that we just don't get taught. Almost like the seven the seven liberal arts, right? We don't get taught the trivium and quadrivium anymore. Like when you go to school, they teach you grammar. They maybe teach you a little bit of logic, but you don't get any rhetoric. Like the only rhetoric lessons you get 
is kind of like those NLP self-help salesman courses, right? Unless that, or if you go on a debate team, but there's really no other outlet or reason that like a young kid going through just a regular public education would ever learn about the power of rhetoric. And I feel that symbolism and like, you know, just understanding these ancient pagan religions, it almost feels like a valuable tool to understand. It's like rhetoric. It's like understanding archetypes and how people think, because I truly believe that if people believed a certain religion for thousands and thousands of years and modeled civilization after it, and they baked it into their buildings and their artwork, it's like encoded in our DNA somewhere deep down. So that if someone shows you a triangle, like it actually does something to you or it captures your focus more so than some other arbitrary symbol that might not have that same archetypal power. Uh, I think rhetoric is huge. I've even seen something recently, um, and I agree with the guy. I wish I could remember the show. I'd give it a shout-out. It's fucking ten times bigger than mine. It doesn't need one. But this guy was, like, covering stuff with, uh, like, talking about, like, Hitler and Karl Marx, or just, like, people that were, like, very, you know, huge with their radical political ideas. And besides the whole magic aspect of it, the guy was saying, him like, he really wasn't getting into that. But I do think this is part of the magic. This is even part of the stage magic. Is that sometimes, like, in my opinion, I do think that those dudes were actually putting occult ideas, even in those writings. But I think the way that they... When you go to read their shit, you're like, oh, this is, like, so fucking, like, weird and hard to, like, understand the way it's written. It's because it's written to fuck you up. You know, and I, and I don't think people, because of the way, like you're saying, like with rhetoric and understanding the way things are actually written and what it says, I don't think like people fully will actually understand what they're reading in those books. You know, and like when there is occultism in there, they're taking it as like an actual, like personifying it into political beliefs. It's the best way I could say it. You know, but I do think like, again, like even those people, I mean, you could even use Charles Manson and going back to NLP. You know, the way people present and say things can be very magical in itself to where, like, you may not even understand what you're saying, so then your brain's going to lie to you and tell you what it's saying, and then you're going to be like, oh, yeah, okay, that motherfucker's a genius. <laughs> well, I, and I, it's, I really do look at it as almost cheat codes because once you just know the formula, then it just it seems to just work constantly, and it's... And I, it's, it's hard to look at it as like manipulation. Like, so one of the examples is recognizing the type of adjectives that someone uses. So you might notice in your group of friends, someone might use a lot of auditory language. So they might be like, oh, that sounds good. Are you hearing me? You know, like, hey, listen to this story. So you'll notice like a lot of the, the things that they describe have to do with the ears. And if you notice someone like that, you want to make sure you also always talk about, hey, how does this sound to you? You don't want to say, how does that feel? Or like, what do you feel about this idea? You want to say like, how, you know, like, I want to hear your opinion about this. And the same thing with visual If someone's like, oh, I can't really see that happening. You wouldn't want to come to one of those people and talk about kinesthetic. You won't want to say, how do you feel about this? You'd want to say like, how does this look to you? What's your outlook? Wow. So just knowing those little tricks of like, oh, um, you know, I'm talking to New York Patriot and he's just talking about, oh, this smells fishy. Well, now I know I got to communicate with you 
on an olfactory level without you necessarily knowing about it. And what it does is it makes you inherently think, oh, bro, we're on the same page here. I don't know (laughs) what it is about this guy, but we're like on the same wavelength. And so there's two scenarios, right? One is that we just both happen to use the same sensory perception. So we kind of are on the same wavelength or maybe I just noticed the way you talk and I'm patterning myself after you because I know that it'll build rapport between us. And, and one of the things I'm always thinking about is like, if the person that just does that naturally and inherently and doesn't even realize they're doing it, they just start patterning someone because it's been programmed into them because at an early age, they saw it working. Right. So they're not necessarily cognizant of it versus someone that like read it in a book and is methodically applying it is one of those people like nefarious and the other one is not good because they're both doing the exact same thing. It's just one might not be conscious about it and one might be. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was making me think of like, um, I've even questioned like, you know, has Trump ran with like acting like a troll in some ways because he knows trolling on the internet is the cool thing to do. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> or, you know, yeah. So like you start feeling, oh, he's like one of us. No, he's not. And, you know, <laughs> but I, I love that when he would, he would like, <sighs> like a uh, kiss a flag or like kiss a Bible or like, it's so over the top, man. But uh, I don't know, man. I, I feel like that's that archetype, right? Like he understands that the symbol of someone just seeing that happen, that's going to stick in your mind way more than someone's like two hour speech ever will. So, no, I mean, I he, totally he gets it, right. man. I he definitely you're gets totally it. Right. Stagecraft, man. Fucking stagecraft. <laughs> and, and the reason why I mentioned that binder, and I'll have to show you some clips of it because, dude, the binder is so legit. It's like, you know, do not let anyone know about this. And they have a whole ceremony and they talk about how to make it feel like it's like this true ceremony and that you're actually invoking, you know, all these different lesser keys of Solomon demons. But then it's like, you've got an electrical wire, like going through your robe. And then you've got like, you know, um, sort of like Flint in one pocket and like snappers. Like it, it's, it's truly seems like a middle schooler's magic kit, but mixed with like a true occult ceremonies. No, I've, you know, not taking, you know, again, stuff getting off base, but like, I've even, like, if you even, like, look into, like, how to, like, do cloud busting, it's like, you know, you could have, like, 50 years ago been able to do something like that on a small scale, acting like you were doing a magic show, and people have been like, what the fuck? And it's like, it's just because people don't understand what, like, some wires, water, and metals will do together. <laughs> like, so, <laughs> it's like, you know, you actually kind of, like, using a magic in itself to... Yeah, I can't remember the exact quote or the source, but it's something like uh, sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And that's like I always bring up the movie Apocalypto. That's kind of that whole concept of the dude knows about what an eclipse is. And he's like, I'm not going to let the sun ever come back unless you guys, you know, sacrifice for me or whatever, just because he knew that it happened to be coming that next night because he knew how to read the stars and knew how calendars worked. But all that was was just technology that no one else had privy to, and then he made it look like it was magic. Yes, yes. Um, I wanted to ask, when it comes to, like, your art and the stuff that you do do, like, when it comes to occultism, like, do you find yourself, like, 
do you take like influence from like you know Kabbalah or like certain pantheons like you understand what I'm getting at like what kind of like what is your thing when it comes to like occultism like that you're into that reflects itself in your art so I, I got like a mishmash of okay right. um the western version so like Blavatsky Crowley Manly P Hall style knowledge I'm, I've also been a, a mason for almost two decades now so a lot of albert pike and morals and dogma and i was you know what's funny there was, there was things i wanted to ask and i was just like i i didn't want to throw you out there like that but since you said no, that, i've like been outed a few times oh no no but I, you've told me before it just wasn't my business to come out and say it so uh like not that i was going to hammer you on that but i, I did actually want to ask like was there any stuff with that? Is there any stuff like with Freemasonry that you're into? Not saying what they're telling you to read, what you're into. Does yeah, that reflect itself into your art? But I was like, I don't know if he's open about it. And like, fuck, how do I ask this? So I'm glad, I'm glad you came out and said it, man. I just was like, I don't know what to do about this. There's a oh, there's a really derogatory phrase that uh, that I'll just I'll blurt out here. But there's something called a porch mason, and a porch mason would be the ones that like always have a Masonic cap and they've always got a pin on and they've probably got the bumper sticker that says to, to be one, ask one. And um, they've probably got the jacket and, you know, like the, the designer watch that has the, the 32 on it and like the whole thing. Some people just absolutely love that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? That's never really been me. So I don't really like like love showing off. Here's this big Masonic Eagle and here's a square and compass and stuff. If, if anything, time that works itself into design it's because i'm absolutely being tongue-in-cheek and trying to like make someone be like oh my god there's a square compass there yeah. but otherwise i would say the, the most like occult thing that makes its way in would be for example a um like there's a description in my third issue of time samplers where this girl goes to the actual akashic records as if it were like a physical place and this owl describes the difference between material light and spiritual light. And this comes from a cross between Rosicrucianism and Masonry and just kind of this Western version of Eastern esoteric thinking. But the idea of that, if you burn a candle, right, then if you look directly at it, you can see it's emitting light. But then if you close your eyes and put your hand in front of it, now you can feel that it's emitting light even without seeing it. And that there's all these other different types of light that like the, the visual aspect, again, almost going to the, the, the cart analogy, like you can't trust your eyes to give you that whole story, especially when you can tell by the feeling that there's light. You could also smell that something might be burning. So there's your olfactory sense. There's like all these different ways you can perceive of something. So I think that that and just the, the hermetic principle as above, so below speaking in analogies that's kind of the the deepest that I get into over occultism. Everything else are going to be nods to actual research, people, names, dates, places. Because my goal for someone reading any of my books is that if you if you're deep, right? If you're deep and you know like the deepest conspiracy theories and like the actual demon from a certain key of Solomon that's responsible for something, I'll try to bake that into the story or the dialogue or the artwork in some ways. Um, but I I try not to like beat you over the head with it through sloppy exposition or anything. So it's like, <laughs> like if you got eyes to see, right? You got the eyes to see, you'll see it. That's sloppy. I like how you said that. That's funny. Um, all right. So like, yeah. Now, I mean, I would assume 
So basically, like, you're pretty much your occultism that you're more into, like, wouldn't have that typical Freemasonic style and look to it. Yeah, I mean... Because I, I, I didn't Fre see that either, but I, that's, so, like, I wasn't sure, you know. Well, Freemasonry is just a very specific flavor. It would be like saying, like, I only like 18th century concertos or something. Like, it, it puts it into such a very specific box where really I feel that this is my bad analogy for Freemasonry, but uh, it's the one that I always bring up. It would be, imagine that you were just an absolute chess nerd, right? You graduated out of high school, you're out of college, you're just like a normal person in, in regular life, but you just absolutely love chess. The only way that you'd probably be able to scratch that itch, aside from playing online chess all day, you'd have to go out and find a small group of people in your area. They were also just absolute chess nerds. And it would probably be a fairly small niche of people that care about chess so much that they would get together and then agree to me and even maybe like pay a membership fee and like, Oh, do that's why I joined the OTO crap. Cause I was like, how am I going to find people that are into magic that I can actually, that's like, exactly it. Well, that's dude, that's exactly it. And, and I see Freemasonry as just like uh, kind of like a chess or a math club, but instead of being interested in chess or math, you're interested in these esoteric and occult subjects um, and Freemasonry just happens to be, my opinion, one of the more accessible and sort of like a brand name, right? Like they've yeah. got, they've got like a few, you know, established in 1776 or whatever the hell they want to claim it to. They've kind of got that, the oldest version. So they do still claim to be the oldest operating mystery school on the planet to date. So it's just like if you were really smart and you just want to do puzzles all day, you join Mensa, right? Well, if you just want to talk about astrological processions and, you know, otherworldly entities and stuff, Freemasonry might be part of that. There's also a huge group that just saw it as a way to garner influence and, you know, climb the ladder right. socially. But I feel like that is pretty out of date at this point. Like you don't need to join the Masons for that. Now you just join, the you know the the commerce group or you join the Rhodes Club or right. a million other ones. Yeah, a question I guess, and this kind of goes along with art, especially this would actually go along with occult art. And uh, I guess since you you know were okay about talking about the Freemasons, and this isn't like um, not trying to really get specific. I just think this is a, a good thing to point out, and I'm thinking you could agree with me on this. When it comes to symbolism and occult symbolism. In my opinion, some of them are very blanket and almost like very, um, you know, not sometimes there'll be things that may be like you're saying very small niche is actually Freemasonic symbolism. The rest may be stuff that has just been adapted from something that's much broader, which then could be just from personal people. Like, I guess what I'm getting at is, in my opinion, I, I feel like in the conspiracy community, People sometimes have like this very short, I guess, idea of like what that symbol means and what it's attached to. When there could be much of a broader thing, it doesn't always necessarily mean that it's not specifically OTO and Freemasons. I feel like there is a very big misconception, I guess, in all that. Do you see that happening as well? Yeah, and actually, OTO is a good example of this. And maybe maybe you can uh, well, see, shed some you know, light, funny. Well, I'm saying it because I feel like, and I, I'm not sticking up for them at all, but there's just a lot of people that are like have become like almost like, you know, the head names of occult conspiracy theorists. Everything's, this is Masonic, that's Masonic, this is Masonic, that's Masonic. This goes back to that Masonic. I'm like, yo, 
Come on, give it up, man. man. And dude, the, the Masons give it the love fuck that. Up. Like, yo, yo because... you're not even getting the LVX symbols right. Fucking give it up, dude. <laughs> fuck. Well, and it, it, that, I mean, on that same, I guess, analogy, it's like when a flat earther starts ta- like bringing up all this complex math, and it's like unless you can sit down and actually explain the intricate mathematical formulas so that I can understand it, like none of this other stuff makes any sense to me, and it doesn't hold any weight. But I've your, your original question was, you know, some of the symbols. Um, I do think that they're lost over time, right? Like one of the, the, the core tenets of Masonry and a lot of other mystery school, I don't know if OTO has the same thing, but it's that like the original name of God was lost at some point and that that's one of these ultimate secrets. And then if you can learn the original name of God, that's unpronounceable and it's ineffable. But if you were theoretically able to pronounce it and say it, then you can like shoot lasers out of your arms or like, you know, you transform into like, another entity so that premise i think is one of the oldest stories in time that's actually interesting that actually made made me think of something that you had mentioned before and i had wanted to ask you about freemasonry with even with that and i was like fuck how am i gonna bring this up maybe i shouldn't um you mentioned the optic nerve before now i know Mm. for me in the OTO, this is a little different. You're still probably an active member and you're not looking to cause problems. I'm not going to get too specific, but there is a point at where if I become a member, I'm going to get told the word on is a god, is a name for God. Have you ever come across this idea in the Freemasons that the word on might be another name for God? I haven't heard of on as God. I do hear of Aum, A-U-M, Aum. Um, as like one variation of it, but it's, it's less of a God and it's more, this is one of the coolest concepts, but that Aum represents this occult principle of taking unbridled energy. Cause as you say, the, as you go through the consonants, A, U, M, Uh A comes from the back of your throat. So it's just this like unrealized potential energy, just a, a pure stream of vibration coming directly from your throat, just going, ah, and then when you say, uh, now you're actually having to consciously direct and shape some of that unbridled energy so that it shapes around the back of your, your throat, right? That's how the uh noise makes. Like it, it takes human ingenuity and like you're, you're kind of manipulating this unbridled source. And then the M, this is where you take full control over it because the only way you can make the M noise is by combining your lips and then creating the vibration between your two lips. So now you've taken unbridled energy from ah you've focused it and harnessed it with the uh and then you've taken complete control over it and turned it into a completely different human only made sound with the mm like because there's another there aren't many other animals or things that can make that mm sound without knowing how to close your lips and direct it so it's that word constitutes the human ability to take this unbridled energy of God or whatever you want to call it, this like magical ether and then harness it and then turn it into something that you find useful. And that's an analogy that you do that in everything. And in in Freemasonry, they take the analogy of like a stone where you take um, an ashlar stone that's not perfect. And then over time you just keep hacking away at it until you turn it into the perfect ashlar cube. that has got, you know, like this platonic solid. And I feel like that is this, more uh esoteric version of god right because it's not like it's this guy with this name and he lives there and he has these powers it's more of an understanding of god being 
the control over unbridled energy and having some kind of system or rules in place that allows the control of that energy. It's, been, it's interesting that you mentioned Ohm, uh, that, you know, sometimes when you'd go to do, uh, when I went to go do things at the OTO, sometimes the Gnostic Mass or whatever, or before rituals or certain things, um, before you let people inside the lodge or, well, inside the temple, um, normally the people who are, like, running the ceremony or the ritual or whatever, the Gnostic Mass, they'll get in a circle and they'll do, like, neither Ohm or something else. I already forgot what it was. But they'll do Ohm sometimes a few times. And even in the Gnostic Creed, you end it with ohms. And that's done in every Gnostic Mass as well, before they start the Mass off. So I even find that interesting. Like, in the Gnostic Mass, they even use that whole ohm. They do it three times. So And I, and I feel like there's something to that. And part of me is just like Masons love just making up logic to fit an older practice. Because, again, a lot of Masons will say that they started with, like, the Knights Templar. Some even try to date it even back before that where a lot of that's a little bit shaky. It really goes back to maybe the 1700s, maybe the early like 1720s or something like that. But almost every secret mystery school or secret society is always like, oh yeah, we were, we're the oldest, you know, we date back to Babylon. We, we date back to, you know, like Carthage or whatever. Um, so they, they all try to like take that, that stake in the ground. Yeah. I've even thought like, you know, even with the OTO and uh, the Freemasons, this is from somebody else that had told me this. That's a Mason. Um, he had told me that they do use the so mode it be. And, like, even the OTO uses that a bunch of times in the Gnostic Mass. So it's like, is that a phrase that obvious? Well, like, unless you want to start saying that they're somehow still connected, what I'm getting at is that a phrase that comes from something older than them or from somewhere else? So it's not well, Freemason it specific. Does. You know, again, like what I'm saying, it's not Freemason specific. Because the OTO is using it too, unless, you know what I'm saying, unless people want to start saying, oh, it's the same thing. But maybe, you know, maybe it's not really, but like, it, that comes from something else, in my opinion. It's not well, specific Well, and even Freemasonry came from like all of these different degrees and rites that were all over the, the board, right? Like in, in the 1700s, and this ties into like Bavarian Illuminati stuff. I, this is like one of my favorite topics, but Bavarian Illuminati starts infiltrating Freemasonry. And one of the reasons that it's so easy is because there's not necessarily a complete standardization of Freemasons along with Martinists and a few other groups. Martinists, that, well, I haven't heard that. They, they were kind of all in this big bubble that like sort of knew each other, acquaintance style. But uh, as this all starts happening and the Bavarian Illuminati starts infiltrating lodge after lodge they all get together and i think it's called the, the wilhelm um something or other but they all get together and they basically say okay we're gonna just all agree to do these particular rites and these particular ceremonies and these degrees and that's what we're gonna call masonry and anyone not doing these is gonna be irregular or co-masonry or just like not the official grand lodge um that you're all going to accept and that standardization, I think, is the strength in, like, keeping this going for such a long time because the whole reason that the OTO even formed, as I understand it, was just because they wanted to be more inclusive than Freemasonry was and accept more people that weren't just, like, the higher echelon elite. They kind of wanted a little bit more avant-garde members that were into, you know, a little bit more outlandish stuff. And then... The OTO wasn't enough because they didn't allow, and I might have some of this reversed, but like 
OTO didn't allow women, so then the Golden Dawn started, or maybe it was the opposite. Oh, no, Golden the, Dawn no, started. the OTO has women, yeah. The OTO has women. So the Golden Dawn started, they didn't allow women. So then oh, the OTO was like, okay, we're going to do the same thing, but allow women. And then you have another version of like Rosicrucianism did some of the magic that Golden Dawn and OTO did, but they took a more like scientific secular serious i guess approach to it but they all kind of stem from these same teachings and even if you go to the ancient mystery schools a lot of these are giving credit to like pythagoras and pythagoras went to basically you know um uh, like old babylon sort of areas in the middle east and br bringing it back from like persia so i think that it's just this big amalgamation of everything we've ever learned and even the symbols which you started out talking about they gain all these extra meanings over time. It would be the same with the ancient gods. Cause if, if I come from a city back where you had a, a patron, so every city had its own God, right? Or multiple gods. But let's say my main God of my city is like a storm God. And I also have a death God, but now I travel to a whole new land, a whole new culture, and they've got their own death God. And it's like, well, I can't, talk about my death God because I'm in a different city and that would cause some kind of, you know, confusion slash um, maybe like some infighting. So what happens is I start to adapt my death God to take on all the attributes of their death God. And if enough people do that, then that one death God in the new city takes on all the names, all the roles, all the characteristics of this new influx of people moving in. And now just multiply that hundreds and thousands of times and eventually what happens is these monotheistic religions are like, look, guys, kind of like that Freemason um, Wilhelm's uh, convention where they're like, look, if we can just all agree on a standard and that this is how it is, then we'll be less prone to people picking off and going into these little niches. So I think they just kind of like establish here's the rules. Here's this one God and he's got all the attributes of every God you've ever thought of. He's Hercules and he's Perseus and he's, you know, ball. And he's like everything you can think of all wrapped in one there. Now you don't have to remember what God to worship versus what city you're in and what time of year it is. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that, that amount of consolidation, that sort of was like, Oh wow, there's, there's power to this because now we can just tell people, you know, what God is and what he wants at this time. And they don't have their own versions of it. So and I think that just keeps extrapolating over and over and over. So yeah. now all these ancient mystery schools and secret schools, the reason why they get tied into paganism and symbols is because they're about like breaking it down and saying, where did this come from? Like, where did this fish symbol come from? You know, it has to predate. Where did the original uh, resurrection story come from? What's with this ball cycle and the box saga and all of that stuff? And I think that that's what Rosicrucians and OTO members and Freemasons, like that's kind of the stuff that they're interested in at a deeper level. So that's what they all gravitate to. And that's why they all sort of are interested in the same kind of things. Cause it's just different communities mm -hmm. that are centered around the same sort of information. You know, I would agree with that, especially with the OTO. It makes it a very wide variety of beliefs too. So what's the vibe? Cause like, for example, if you were to go to a Freemason lodge now, on average, it's going to be, it's going to have like a retirement home flair to it a little bit. But even if you, you have like a younger lodge, uh, it's very formal. You know, people tend to dress up in suits and uh, act very seriously, kind of a little bit solemn. Sometimes it reminds me of like Catholic mass 
where like there's no joking and laughing and you know not, it's not like going to a baptist or a protestant service um but like is oto like a party like are y'all just like playing heavy metal and shit in the no. background or <laughs> no no is like Danzig blasting or no, is it like they don't Gregorian have, chants I mean, just and from my, my experience, um, you know, unless they used music in the Gnostic Mass, which they didn't do too often, um, you know, sometimes maybe they would use like some ambient stuff and rituals. Believe it or not, they really weren't big with, you weren't really going to be hearing music there. Um, you'd be sitting in the fucking waiting room before they open up the temple, and then you go in. Uh, you just hanging out on couches. It can be a bunch of people talking. It can be very quiet and awkward. It all just depends on who showed up. But Are there people there with, like, affliction shirts and Jinko jeans on? Well, that's or? what I was going to get to. I mean, you could literally, this is all, I mean, the whole thing. I mean, there were people there that, like, were school teachers and looked like one and didn't look like one. There were people there who were lawyers and looked like one and didn't look like one. There were people there who... You know, what I'm saying is that you could have somebody who dressed, you know, one way, and then you could have the, the punk rock looking dude or, you know, a, a skater showing. You know, every, you saw it all there, in my opinion. And I do think, you know, part of it is because, like what you were saying, it is very appealing to a lot of people because it's very open, you know, technically the way it looks, very open to belief. You know, I, I could go there believing more into, like, Egyptian gods, and the chick next to me could be more into, uh, you know, a Celtic or something. You know what I'm saying? And if we could still be doing the same ritual, you know? I, I was more into Egyptian. <coughs> Being a child in the Gnostic Mass, I was more into Egyptian gods, and the girl who was the priestess could have been more into, uh, you know, like I said, Celtic before. We're actually in kind of, like, two different types of things and but yet we were still in the same ritual doing the same thing together you know it's very open like that and i i sometimes you know as much as that's a well i do wonder if convenience itself is a problem but as much as that's a convenience could that actually be also a hindrance in it you know, <laughs> you know i don't know how you know does that kind of also just i don't know the oto is very weird to me i, I I don't know. Okay, oh, hey, I, I hate to do this, but I'm actually late for another yeah. podcast. Oh no, that's totally that fine. It's totally to fine. I'll into. let you go. I'll let you go. I was gonna wrap it up soon anyway. Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll show off a couple of my my books here that I'm still working on. Sure. This one is never a straight answer, and if you go to nasacomic.com, you can check out the uh, the Kickstarter for it. But it's a like a 50 page book about Stanley Kubrick directing the moon landings, and it's got all sorts of occult symbolism in this one for sure uh we even talk about the the black monolith um being this you know occult symbol for like a cinema screen that takes on this like saturnian crew aspect of where it manipulates reality and stuff i've got this one That's called geronimo's cool. grave which is about the skull and bones digging up uh geronimo's bones this was like prescott bush and uh some of the harriman brothers i believe so yeah, I've, I've got a, a whole, man, I've got a whole bunch here, but I really, I don't want to be too late for my no, next No, that's quite all right, man. I'm sorry about that. I totally forgot that you actually have, like, book time slots. My bad. Um, real quick, plug your stuff, and then I'll let you go. Yeah, dude, uh, paranoidamerican.com. The latest thing is this homunculus owner's pamphlet that I, I did with it. Juan. It breaks down the entire history of what a homunculus is, different types, the magical powers that they're rumored to give you. And then, yeah, you can see here, it's Paranoid American. We do graphic, 
comics. I'm on Amazon. Uh, we also do a whole bunch of different merch and stickers. And I've been working on a couple interactive games that might be on Steam next year. We'll, oh, we might see about let me that. know, man. Let me know. I'll check it out for sure. Yeah. Yeah, not, not too much about that. And then, uh, yeah, uh, hit me up on YouTube. I've got a whole bunch of new series coming out. I mentioned all the podcasts that I'm on. And, uh, yes. And yeah, man. And I'm right. about to hop over to, to Reality Zars right now. All right, nice. Tell them I said what's up. Uh, all his links are in the bottom. Uh, if you can, I know you get, you're going to be busy after this, but when you get a chance, send me the other links so I can add them as well so everybody can see all the stuff you have. Thank you very much for coming on. Everybody in the chat, thank you. That's what's up. There was a bunch of you tonight. Thank you for the comments. That's why I go live. And uh, until the next one, everybody be well. Later.